All right. Uh, Luke, so Luke uh, 241, why don't you read uh, through 50? Okay. And his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the, ca the caravan and went to day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And it came about that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Seems to be the theme of Jesus' life. People not understanding what he says. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know if you've had this experience, but there are some difficult sayings of Jesus that just are very hard to understand. Yeah. And, and part of that is the cultural background and that we don't know. I, I think some scholars know it and have figured it out, but mm. um, I'm still looking yeah. for those scholars. There's a lot of layers to what he says. Yes, there are. What he says on the surface makes usually very good concrete sense. Mm -hmm. But in terms of spirituality, like, okay, so what's the message here? Mm -hmm. And then uh, if you look deeper, you have to look really deeper uh, to find that spiritual message. Yeah. So he goes to the temple, and they leave him behind. Why was it important for Jesus to go to the temple? Um... I mean, it says here that he had to he had to be in his father's house. So it's obviously that um, it's obvious that at a young age he understood, um, at least in some sense, who he was in terms of like his mission. It seems that that, that about this point he starts understanding, and he hears the call, uh, apparently, of God, his father. Mm -hmm to go to his house. And um, the, I, I, what do you think the purpose was of his meeting with the, the rabbis, the, the scholars of Jesus' day? Um, I think he was, I mean, it's obvious that he was a very um, wise child. And mm -hmm. I think that he maybe like, as they were passing through the temple, he was hearing them talk, and then maybe that, like, he was, something must have, um, he must have realized something while they were talking, and so I think that he just wanted, he wanted to engage with them because this is, um, I think it drew his interest. And, and you notice, you notice that he, uh, he both listened yeah, and asked and questions. Ask questions. And and my sense of things is that he was trying to awaken interest beyond where they were. They were kind of trapped in their little box. Mm -hmm. um, and he was trying to broaden that or 
kind of demolish that box. <laughs> Move those uh, walls of the box out yeah. and, and show that there's, there's something bigger here and um, awaken interest in his mission uh, without probably revealing at all that he was connected to it. Yeah, I think um, I was really intrigued by that, that like he wasn't just asking them and like almost a lot of times we do, we see Jesus asking others questions, but then it's not really mentioned as much that he's listening, mm -hmm. that he's actually engaging with them and he, mm -hmm. he acknowledges mm -hmm. who they are. So I think that speaks Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my, at my father's house? And there's, there's other versions. I, I think uh, uh, New King James, of course, follows the King James. Mm -hmm. I must be about my father's business, my father's things. Yeah. I'm not sure what the, he, the Greek is there, but uh, it's, uh, I'm, do you not know I must be about my father's things? So it yeah. could be his house, could be. It says in, in mine, there's a footnote that says, or affairs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. It's interesting how it has that kind of, it can have multiple meanings in that sense. It could be house, it could be just things. And that's, that's the hallmark of Hebrew, actually. I don't think Luke is thinking Hebrew. He's very Hellenistic mm -hmm. um, because he's Greek. But nonetheless, uh, he rubbed shoulders with people who thought Hebrew. And in Hebrew language, every word has more than one meaning. And writers often exploit it. Well, in case we think he was cheeky with his parents, he really is asking an honest question, isn't he? Why are you looking for me? But lest we think that, Luke, 50, uh, Luke uh, 2.51 says that he went down with them to Nazareth and was subject to them. So he continued to obey them? So, yeah, he was submissive. Yeah. To a point. <laughs> when they tried to get him to hook up with the rabbis, then he wouldn't do that. And there's a famous verse that follows afterward. We're just talking about how Jesus continued to grow. Right. He developed and he grew, matured. We have uh, dealt with John the Baptist before. What is the next text on there? Uh, well, mine actually cut off after Luke 2, 10, 14. Okay, we, we added a passage is oh, what okay. we did. So uh, let's go to Luke 4. And uh, go to 18 and 19. Actually, you know, we, we dealt with this in Mark, I believe. Either Mark or Matthew. Um, why don't we start with verse 16? That way we okay. have the context. Yeah. Um, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set, those who are down, to set free those who are downtrodden to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Yeah. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
in the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. He began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Yeah, Jesus leaves something out. Oh, there, there's more to that. And he's quoting Isaiah. Yeah, 61. Right? He's, he's actually reading Isaiah uh, 61. He's leaving out something. We're in verse 18 and 19. If you look at Isaiah. Oh, the vengeance. The, ven- day, the year of vengeance of our God. <laughs> he leaves that out. Is it because they tend to. It seems like the Pharisees, they tend to hold on to that a lot more, that they can't wait to get back. They had an obsession of getting even with their enemies. I have known some who who really are obsessed with that. Uh, That's that's a great preoccupation for Mm -hmm. them, to to, uh, see Satan clobbered, to see uh, all the bad people clobbered. Jesus leaves that out. Uh, what is what is he doing? For the, uh, what is he doing that? Or what is he at- trying to accomplish by doing that? Mm. He's trying to show that's not the message. That's not the the objective of what that statement. Of what he's that he's, he's weakening their emphasis, isn't he? He's trying to restore a balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he just simply ignores that text, knowing that they're going to finish it in their heads. Because <laughs> they all know the passage. Uh, Which verse? Uh, we're in 19, actually, uh, where Jesus says to preach the acceptable uh, year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God is what he leaves out. Oh, he does. Oh. Yeah. He leaves that out quite deliberately. Uh, and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And then everybody's looking at him. And why? Do you know why that is the case? Because he left it out. Well, there might be part of that, but there's another reason why they're staring at him. He sat down prematurely. Uh, there were two readings, scripture readings, in the synagogue. Mm-hmm. One scripture reading was to the left uh, side. And it was in the Torah. And it was read without comment. The other scripture reading was the prophets. And it was read from the right side. And it was followed by a commentary. The one who read that the prophets had to give a commentary. That's the forerunner of our sermon. And uh, Jesus reads the scripture hands it back to the attendant, and sits down. <laughs> no commentary. No and they're all like waiting, okay? <laughs> commentary, commentary, where are you? Pacer? Uh, the, the Hebrew word is pacer. I think he stood up then, or did he just sit there? I think he Anybody sat down, down and, and stated this. And, and this is dramatic because we all know the history of, of the Christian community uh, in the where where the uh, lectern is placed, you know, it's always above the congregation. Mm-hmm. You're always to, so the the person giving the sermon always stands above the congregation. Mm-hmm. If you go into uh, the more reformed churches like Lutheran and and Calvinist they're churches, above. they're not only above but they're way up. 
uh, and, separate from. And, yeah, and and so you see the different the different models we have of God actually mm-hmm. portrayed in the architecture and in the in the structure of how we deliver sermon. Uh, Jesus delivers his sermon sitting down. Sitting down, he was sitting. That's why oh, it said yeah. he sat down. Yeah. So and and so finally, there's this long, long pause. And, and I wish we would do this in our churches, where you know the pastor would get up, read the scripture that he's going to use, and then sit down. What would happen if he did that? And he sat down and spoke his sermon through a microphone, but with his, but he's sitting as part of the congregation. What would what effect would that have? They could be confused. Everybody would be confused, but but if they got over their confusion, I think the emphasis would be more on the scripture than on the person's giving the sermon. Yeah. And and here's the Messiah who had every right to tower over them and say, "I'm the Messiah," who says, "This day, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." And he must have said more because then they say. Uh, is that they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, "Is not this Joseph's son? Like, how can he be like this? We know him." Mm-hmm. And then Jesus lays them out. Uh, Doug, you want to read uh, verses twenty-three to twenty-seven? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, where the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow uh, in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha and the prophet, yet not one of them were cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. Oh, then 28. (laughs) All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard these words. (laughs) Heard this, they got up. Uh, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> That's a dramatic sermon. And it appears that Jesus' sermon is very short and to the point. They got the point, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> this is a time to kill the messenger here. Yeah. Um, so, a prophet. The main point is what prophet is not yeah, without so, honor, except yeah. in his own country. That's, that's often very, very true. They such a small town. It seems like a small town environment that they they know they know the details of so many people like. I was on a search committee one time for choosing the new registrar, so some years ago. And we talked about whether to hire someone far, far away that we hardly knew. 
or to hire someone local who really wanted the job. And uh, we mused about the fact that the local person we knew so well, we knew all the flaws. And and the uh, one far away might have just as many flaws or worse, but we didn't know those flaws, and so they looked more palatable. <laughs> and so we, we ended up choosing the person close at hand. We decided, and it turned out to be a really good choice. That was Susie Mundy. Uh, we would always say, it's probably is not fair, but as young, you know, ministers or teachers in, in our system, we always say the way to succeed is you work a little while inside, then you go out for five, six years, and when then the, you come back, then you then you're wonderful. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, you, if you just stay all the way through, everybody knows you so well that that often it is. I remember one when I was here early on where. We've been through many changes. One of our pastors, we kept recommending, but they knew he didn't have real good grades in theology while he was here, so they never would let him be really on the on the on committee. But he finally got old enough that he's here. <laughs> I think I know who you're talking about. <laughs> but it was interesting because you know nobody knows. You know when you. When you hire a minister, you no one asked what your, your grades were. Yeah. yeah. But see, we knew that because we were here and he was a student, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's something, isn't it? Yeah, we're funny yeah. creatures. But, you know, with Jesus, with, Je- <laughs> with Jesus, he, he didn't have bad grades, so to speak. But he, the no. problem was he hadn't gone to school properly. Well, it is, I think he was, wasn't he a lower economic class? Yeah, I mean, you seem a town full of criminals too, wasn't it? I don't know. Nazareth was a rough, I think, a kind of a rough town, but I don't know. How getting a good thing come out of yeah. Nazareth? So yeah, it was a rough town. Do you, do you know anything about that? What was that reputation about? Was I don't a, think we know. At least I've never yeah. read anything historically yeah, about it. But it must have had a reputation, yeah. and then he's a car, son of a carpenter. How can right. he be right. a you know, a I mean, contractor? <clears throat> the, you know the, the the stereotypical contractor type yeah, yeah, person yeah, that we yeah, think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Though there's quite a few contractors in this area that don't fit that at all. Uh, yeah. well, but we don't think of them as academics. Or, no, or, no, and they're not know, learned. Like, they're not. They're not suave. Pra- they're not. Practical, um, practical skill people. Yeah. We admire that, but we know. Uh, wow, not something. What he had to face and deal with and. But um, that was kind of a divine intervention early on, was that where he walked? Do you ever hear where he walked through the crowd? I, I thought he. I think there's one other time that he does that. Where the, yeah. they just gave him. I can't remember now the details. Yeah, I think it's in John. I think we're like getting ready to stone him. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, the, he like walked the temple. You know, I'd love to be able to see where divinity flashed through him. Flashed through humanity, and everyone just. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whether this anybody just kind of invisible just walk through. They're so they're so mad and arguing that he just you know, they're yeah. not paying attention. He just walks through or something. I don't know. Um, um, but you, but you notice what he says in verse twenty three. You will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. What is the sense you get that the people want here? 
They want sensationalism. They want a sensational manifestation of this power of this person. And they want, they want it for themselves. They want it because they want to own him. After all, he's their homegrown boy. They can bra- brag him. And they can bra- brag about him. They can control, kind of control him and use him and, and milk that power for themselves. Oh, that's an interesting thought where they're using that. And, and Jesus just abolishes their pride and lays it in the dust. In the, in the next uh, few lines, God didn't send me to you to heal you. That's <laughs> um, basically what he's saying. God didn't send Elijah, Elijah uh, to any but the widow of Zarephath, uh, who was in Jezebel's territory and uh, one of Jezebel's father's subjects, Esbol. Um, and there were lepers in Israel, and Elisha only cleansed Naaman, came from Syria. You know what? I, I only had that happen one time. That uh, and I, I, it was so kind of disturbing to me. To it's kind of the system he's talking about. We had a we had a powerful revival at Glendale. We baptized kids for weeks and just uh, started our own. It was just a real one of the most powerful revivals I've ever been in other than when I was converted in, in college. But I went to Montana and I took, I was going to take one of the guys with me. We had this whole plan. We'll have this mission school. We, will, we had like 10 invitations. Our kids would, they'd come under the Spirit of God and preach. I had 16-year-olds. I mean, this is a snooty, high economic place in Glendale. Right. These little, you know, just uh, kids from low income, they'd stand up and in front of a thousand people and just preach the word. You know, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And we got excited. We started going to camp meetings, and these kids were all involved in this renewal. And uh, so we, um, I went to Montana, and I went, they asked me to be principal. And I wanted to bring my evangelist and uh, my other one of my other team members, and he says no, one Californian's enough, <laughs> you know. So that never worked. But what happened? We thought the same thing would happen. You know, we had prayed and asked, and we had this whole vision. But because of kind of the sin in the camp, found out what was happening among some of my faculty and stuff. The spirit guy would just not show up. He, didn't, you know. We'd seen him, we'd asked him, he showed up, and we had all these wonderful signs and, and, and things, and the, you know, miracles being done, so to speak. But when they really didn't want it, and then there was real violation in leadership of, of, of spiritual, and it was the most shocking thing to me, it just, we just, we were just devastated. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that, that would not happen. You know, like he's, why, why couldn't he? heal in those areas. Yeah. Because they were shut. They they when when you want something for your own selfish interest oh, yeah. and you're going to abuse it once you have it. God just doesn't cooperate yeah, with that. He's not our servant in that sense. 
I guess that's a, the place I've seen that the most is in these revival experiences I have. When he shows up, or, you know, like Jesus, he was showing up through Jesus. I mean, that, you don't have control of that. If no. We had numerous people, administrators and whatever, even when revival was converted in the, in the 60s in the college, during that big college revival was swept through. Ministers try to shut it down, try to go. When the Spirit, if you try to shut it down, it'll walk away. Mm-hmm. You have to give it freedom mm-hmm. and recognize who he is. That must have been so hard on the young people involved. Yeah, it was just... Uh, uh, you know, I, I saw that kind of thing happen during the 70s um, yeah. and the, the revivals that were sweeping through North America. Um, my brother was a senior at Thunderbird and they wanted to start some ministries um, in in the area. The, the kids were on fire. They wanted to work for the Lord, and the conference just shut them down. When I was chap, I came up as chaplain here to fill in. I'd been at Berkeley, and we had a, re- a revival was happening that spring, and the kids wanted to go out. And, you know, the problem was they wanted to quit school, some <laughs> go do stuff, mm-hmm. which wasn't the best thing. But to find a way to channel that rather than just put the lid on it. Revivals don't have a history of surviving very long. Because, because the human element yeah, comes in just and comes just in and shuts them down. Yeah. And they want to control it. Yeah. Well, I had my board chairman, you know, this is Glendale Academy, it's a big school. He, he was an attorney, you know, leader in the church. He'd set up and he says, we don't want these young people, you know, giving these testimonies and telling their stories. This is unprofessional and it's embarrassing. <laughs> I was just, I've never been so devastated, you know, when you, you pray it and work for it and you see the, the breakthrough of the Spirit of God and then you, the people that totally don't recognize it. Yeah. I had a Bible teacher that totally did not recognize it and tried to shut it down. And just say, okay, he's not seeing what we're seeing. Not seeing the power of God to move and, you know, change lives in a miraculous way. And just, uh, but that human element, that's interesting insights on that human element. But they want it for themselves. They don't want to lose control. No. That's, it's the, all, the bottom line is control. Uh, it's got to be my way. And that's the selfish, self-interest uh, when we want control, it's because we're selfish. And boy, the uh, spirit doesn't operate good one without structure. I mean, like the the Godhead in general is just—they're all selfless, and that's how it kind of—that's how that's right, they, they stay in right. unity. He, they just you can't. Each other. God cannot be part and party to selfishness. Mm-hmm. So wherever it's manifested, His spirit leaves. Um, and actually, that kind of spirit, manifesting that kind of spirit, blocks. I think it literally blocks so that God can't work. I don't think it is that he arbitrarily says, stomps off and says, mm-hmm. well, you won't do it my way. I mean, that would be their way of doing it. But it actually blocks his ability to work. It's, it's the same principle as um, if you shut light up in a box, what happens to it? It's gone. Yeah, that's interesting why that, yeah, that would just, you know, I've never really resolved that. It would just, and I went a different direction. It just, 
And uh, a couple of those events we've had, did, people got disenchanted, kind of, you just say, and I did for two or three years. I just kind of lost my, you know, it was so devastating to, to, um, <clears throat> so I went back to my, <laughs> went back to graduate school, finish up and work on my stuff and heal from that mm -hmm. trauma. <laughs> to try to figure out, you know, what, what, what was going on or and re regroup and, and we can walk that too. We get, we've, I've seen some churches that uh, have moved that way. They have powerful movement and growth and healing and spirituality. And then the leadership gets real. Um, Kind of starts owning it. It's it's me that's doing this. Yeah, they, and not God. yeah, they gets too leader centered, and it's mm -hmm. they're getting proud, and all of a sudden, it's just like the the, spirit, the power of the spirit. Like it's like it can't operate in that mm -mm. paradigm. Mm -mm. Just, it's it's shut out. Wow. Oh, yeah, that really is a lesson for us. We're keeping the you know humble and. Yes, I am. I am totally. I am totally coming, coming convinced that my life, in a sense, is not my own, and that I must live moment by moment, completely relying on God for whatever happens, whatever good things happen. Uh, it's it's going to be Him in me. I don't know if either of you had the chance to hear Samantha last night. Uh, she preached one of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard. And uh, Samantha Angelis Peralta, uh, she graduated from here uh, three years ago, and she took us uh, through the the episode of Jesus walking on the water in the storm. And she pointed out that we all have we if we follow Jesus, we will be led into the storm. Jesus ordered them to go across that lake. He ordered them into that storm, and. And then he came, and when Peter asked to come out of the boat, um, Jesus uh, bid him come into the storm, even to leave the boat, and to come into the storm. It was just a powerful metaphor. And she, she walked us through that in terms of how it works in our lives. And I know the reason that was so powerful is because Samantha's going through a storm right now. Pardon? Samantha's going through a storm. And she's been sharing that with me, um, and and it just it, it was a life lived sermon. I, I it just reinforced for me that God has not put us on this planet to be comfortable. I had a situation in 1995. I was working in the records office. There was an opening in the religion department, and uh, one of my friends, and I think a bit of a mentor. Uh, Rosemary Collins was working in enrollment services and I would go and chat with her on occasion and one day uh, I was, we were talking about the religion department and then the, the possibility that I might get that opening and I said you know I really don't know if I would I, I said the way things are down in that department I I'm not sure I want to teach there. I'm not, I wouldn't be comfortable down there. And I would never forget her words. She looked me straight in the eye. And she said, almost thundering at me, 
Gene, the Lord has not put you on this earth to make you feel comfortable. <laughs> and, and it was like God himself had spoken. You know? it, was so, it was so one of those clarifying moments that you're going, duh, how did I overlook this? You know? Now the Spirit of God spoke through that person and gave you the message. And, and, and believe me, it has stuck with me. It's yeah, become something word, of a motto. It's a word of prophecy. Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> believe me, I wasn't comfortable <laughs> for the first 10 years. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get my daughter to understand that paradigm because she's my sensitive artistic one and she's in a real new career, real hostile. Everyone's negative and it says, hey, your your job is not to you know succumb to that you know be prophetic yeah i had i had this radical i was we were i was a chaplain at Washington state university my first well it was my second position at secular campus but i had this methodist radical guy wore a, wore a franciscan robe and he wouldn't pay part of his income tax that supported the military he was radical that chaplain but he says, Doug, he says, we are called as chaplains to be prophetic on this campus for God. Be prophetic, you know, to stand up, you know, make a different statement than all this humanistic second. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's what Samantha called us yeah, to last what, night. Yeah. She called us to be, to be pioneers, to make a difference, to stand alone, to... Oh, she tied in with the whole pioneer thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think I think that um, yeah, wow. That, that's a, you know, Gene. That's probably one of the things that we don't do a lot is really, uh, you know, young men will die for a cause, young women, but we we often don't think of career as cause. We think or. That you're 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 called for this mission. Isn't it? You're not called for a comfortable, comfortable life. You know, I just, one of my pr- professors that was the authority and value. He developed the how do you test values, Dr. Milton Rockage, and he would always laugh and make jokes about. It. He said, "Yeah, I test these Christians, and they score really high on comfortable life." He's ha ha ha. That's not Christianity. He was a Jew. <laughs> you know, but that's kind of like American values system. We want a comfort. We don't want a mission or a cause. We want a comfortable life. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow, I wish I'd heard that. I have to wonder if I can get a someone. I hope it's, I hope they recorded it. Yeah, someone. Uh, it's it's a that. powerful, powerful message. Did you hear it, Christian? No. But man, when you're coming, when you're going through trauma and crisis. You know yourself, and then you, what you know, what what purifies is is often the fire. <laughs> purifies the preaching. Well, she she pointed out she pointed out that as that Jesus sent them into the storm so that he could show up and encounter. And she pointed out that the Greek word uh, for him about to pass by the boat is actually to theophanic. Term. It has to do with theophany, God showing up, God appearing. It's used in the Old Testament that way. Kind of why was this man born blind so he could show up, show his power? Yeah. We were able. So, to, so we Jesus, into? Jesus uses that ah. encounter. He deliberately sends them into it so that he can make manifest. 
this problem. Yeah. And and uh, to walk on the water toward him as long as we keep our eyes on him, we can manage. Yeah. And and really that's the way I'm having to live my life. Um I have Good some way. I have some health issues that um uh, many people when they have them uh can't work full time. And every day I I go by prayer yeah, and to say, you know, give me, give me the strength. And uh, he promised me when I asked to be anointed for this, yeah. that as your days, so shall your strength be. Uh, and that is the promise I live by. I'll supply you. Uh, and I know that I do it in his strength because I, I'm, I'm fine all day. And I come home and <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> I don't know energy. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Lord bless you, man. So, so we live by Him, and I think, you know, this this idea, this principle, a pro, no prophet is accepted in his own country. If we had a prophet today in the Adventist Church, would the Adventist Church that'd be scary. accept? That'd be scary. <laughs> I don't they're think very, so. Yeah, they're very skeptical. I think of. I don't think I don't think to the right or to the left that person would be accepted. Or like even if Ellen White, like even if Ellen White rose yeah. from the dead, no, uh, we don't listen to her now. So yeah, why, right. <laughs> why would we if she came before us? Jesus' statement: Even if even if Moses, Moses uh, even if Moses, you guys wouldn't listen. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Imagine that to a Jew. Boy, yeah. that is really rude. He's yeah. in their face. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Jesus doesn't mince words because... But he you, does it with, you know, he did hear it with the tone of his the voice. The tone of his voice, yeah. The way he's doing it, he's confront, You know, the best, the best of physicians, I, I think of my, my cousin as a pulmonary sp- physician, mm-hmm. and he would get patients who uh, were smokers and they had lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would tell them, here's the deal. Uh, if you have a crisis and you're in an emergency in the middle of the night, I will come and help you if you quit smoking. But if you won't quit smoking, I won't be there at your side. Um, and uh, he had one woman who was a chain smoker, and yes, she had lung cancer. And uh, he was talking with her, and she said, I know that my smoking has nothing to do with this. So she was she was just recent just resistant resistant and finally my cousin said uh okay let's just switch roles here you be the doctor and I'm the patient and I come to you complaining of headaches and I've had these headaches for 10 years and they're mm-hmm. very bad and they're getting worse and you do a history on me and you say so what have you done differently in the last 10 years and I tell you well I have a hammer that I keep by my bed and every morning when I wake up, I deliver three bol- blows to my head with the hammer. And he said to her, now, what do you recommend I do? <laughs> Why they she a, got the point. Yeah, that, that's a great technique. That's a great technique. Yeah, just, oh, but it is, denial is such a yeah. powerful... And, and, and here are these people perishing... Yeah. In denial, thinking that they're the super religious, super godly people. Yeah. That, that, that they have no clue. They're not. No, they think they are. They think they're doing. 
and and so Jesus has to nail them. And the and his hometown is going to perish if he doesn't nail them. And you know, he kind of there's yeah. See, it's the only way to break into denial. Um, at, at the least, we can say I think that Nazareth was full of abuse and abusers. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Um, and if that's the case, all of Jesus' tough words are to abusers. He was talking the language. You've dealt with that. Okay, so that's interesting. You, you're going to you're going to a high level, like in in kind of my business in therapy. There's one level that's really it basically all the literature says it's not treatable. But there's a point where you go where there's kind of no return. Like you can you can do different kinds of abuse, but pedophiles are basically not treatable. Mm-hmm. There's something that happens in the brain when you can violate the innocence of a child and rationalize that and 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 justify. Well, that. and and most you, you that's, broke, you've broken your brain. Yeah, and most pedophiles, <clears throat> most pedophiles come across as so nice and so yeah. so suave and and so uh, like and and they don't get they can't seem to comprehend what they've done. But the only treatment is to isolate them, and you just can never trust them. Because something has happened in the brain when you've gone that far, and usually they've been victims of pedophilia yeah, as, yeah, as children, yeah. and that's what broke the brain. I should write a book called "God the Heartbroken." Yeah, I heard about you from your students this week. One of them was saying, "Well, she's not going to teach Hebrew next year." <laughs> Yes, I. And they, I'm, told, and they told me why. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, Hebrew's good. It's a wonderful thing. But you know what your focus has been and what you've been sharing with us. You wanted. You know, well, uh, the, he, we have three people now in the department next year who are Old Testament, and we only have seven yeah, classes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, somebody's got to move over, and I'm the one to do it because they're just beginning their careers. And I've done it before. I've taught outside my area. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and besides, I get to teach instead of teaching it's survey more relational stuff is what yeah. I was told. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and I get to teach um, classes that are the cream. I can emphasize the cream of what I teach, yeah, what you mean. and it's not watered down by survey courses where you have to go this text or this text or this text. No, I can I can topically arrange things and, and focus on that. So, so it's 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 exciting. I'm I'm really excited about the courses I'm teaching. I'm rearranging my office, <laughs> getting ready. Okay, let's pray. Gracious Father, we we thank you that. You are a God who does not force yourself on us. And yet, when desperate to save us, you will get in our denial and speak loudly and firmly about where we are. We ask that uh, we may not miss the Spirit's movement, that we may rely fully on you and not on ourselves, and that you may fill us with your Spirit so that we might be everything that we can be for you, Mm. to be used by you, so that your kingdom may come. 
In Jesus' name, amen.